we're beginning a, a series today uh, that will stretch um, for a couple of months through uh, around the idea of God's people under pressure. The, the sense of how do we live with the pressures that you inevitably and I inevitably face. The pressures in jobs, the pressure of relationships, the pressures of expectations that other people have of you, the pressure of demands that are made upon you, uh, the pressures of health, the pressures of finance, just the pressure of living. <laughs> All right, I think I'm talking about really. Just the sort of sense of the pressure that inevitably, had we had time this morning, and just go through the rows and says, and we were to ask one another, what's the big issue you face today? There's not one of you that would go, to be honest, I don't think there's anything. Is there? No, I don't think so. There's nobody would go, to be honest, there's no pressure. I'm, I'm under absolutely no pressure whatsoever. Everything is as great as it possibly could be. There's some of you that have got really serious health issues. And that leaves you really uncertain as to how you're going to be. Some of you are being stretched so thinly at work that you kind of wonder whether you're going to be able to keep going. Some of your relationships have collapsed, and that's left you kind of like empty inside. You're thinking, I don't know, I'm not talking about you two, because to be honest, if that's happened, that's a bit disappointing <laughs> in the light of the fact that in six days' time he's probably getting married. Um, <laughs> you can just zone out of this bit. Um, some of you, uh, uh, the demands that are being made upon your work are so great, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do we respond? Well, the first way most of us respond is with a very simple prayer, Oh God, get me out of here. Oh God, rescue me. And actually, it's quite a biblical prayer. Lots of psalmists will pray that. Oh God, rescue me. Get me out of this situation. Because I don't know how I'm going to cope. The disappointing truth is that on the whole, that is not normally the way that God will help you deal with your pressure. Otherwise, we would sit here and go, some of us have been walking with Jesus for 30 or 40 years, and we just know, all you've got to ask is, oh God, get me out of here, and he just remarkably transplants you away from all your pressure, and you live with a lightness of heart, and the world is wonderful. That is not how. Now, the, the, the reality of that, obvious point I'm making is that some of you therefore carry disappointment with God because you prayed God get me out of here and he doesn't seem to answer but in your head you know that that's not the deal but in your heart you wish it were and in a sense what you've got to do is go with your head not with your heart because your head's right the deal is not Come to Jesus and everything will be easy or the burdens you carry will not be a pressure on you. God is not a disappointment if you recognize what God is doing in the midst of the ordinary life that you and I live. And the ordinary life that we live together is the ordinary life of pressure. Now one of the, the, the parts of the, the New Testament that really gives us a model of how do you deal with the pressure that you face in life is 2 Corinthians. It's a letter from Paul to a church 
that were causing him all the pressure. Not the only church that was, but because of what God was asking him to do, because of what God had done, he was under enormous stress. He hadn't done anything wrong, but he was in relationships that were damaging to him. He was in a work context that stretched him beyond his ability. And he he had moments of absolute despair. And in the midst of it, Paul begins to outline not only how does he deal with it, but he then says, actually, this is how you make sense of it as well. And what I want to do over the next weeks as we, we look at Paul writing to this church in Corinthians is to enable one of each other to say, how do we make sense of the ordinary life we live in the light of what God's doing? Now, the good news is that all our days are not with the vice clamped really tightly. But there are occasions when the vice is clamped very tightly. And in one sense, we're asking, how do we make sense? So, we're going to start by reading from 2 Corinthians, if we can. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning. And um, if you have your Bible, or you have a Bible in front of you, 2 Corinthians, kind of like halfway through the New Testament. And uh, we're going to breach. And so it begins. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. But just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a devil valley, and he will deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Just leave it open there, if you will. One of the central problems that Paul had was the way people saw him. Paul, in this letter, is going to have to defend himself because people have said, well, Paul, we know you and we know you've been in a relationship with us and we know what you've done for us. And the thing about Paul and Corinth is Paul had been the pastor of this church for about two years. He'd founded the church and then he'd been the pastor for just a couple of years. And after he left, 
the church itself began to badmouth him to everybody. And they had other people come in who then were just stripping him down. And Paul, who had this sort of uh, relationship with the church, he said, I, I still care for you and I want to see you grow and I want to see you develop, had to defend himself because they were going, do you know what, Paul? You are really unimpressive. There's nothing about you, Paul, that we think is good. We found new apostles, better apostles. Paul was demeaned, he was intimidated, he was being ignored, and his fear was that his work was for nothing. What Paul had to do, Paul had to keep on, in a sense, defending who he was. And it's not easy, is it, to defend who you are when other people are tearing you down. So I start with the obvious point. When he begins this epistle, he just introduced himself, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, by the will of God. I am what I am because of what God's done. Before we start talking about how you deal with pressure and how you deal with what God's doing in it, is there's kind of like that central identity question of for those of you who are in Christ, for those of you that you know Jesus died for you and you sort of nailed your colors to his mast, you sort of said, I want you to be Lord. I want to say with, in the best way, you are what you are by the grace of God. And it's not arrogance but it's actually saying, do you know what? I'm loved by God. I'm his. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest really easy in who I am. I think as you do get older, you, you, kind of, you can get to a place where you can relax more about who you are. You don't need to be good at everything. You don't need to be omnicompetent. You don't need to be everything that everybody expects of you. There is a sense, without arrogance, and you've got to be careful about it, but there is a moment where you go, do you know what? I am what I am by the grace of God. And I'm living for obedience to him. And I might disappoint other people. That's the truth. I may well be a disappointment to other people. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And if your expectations... I, I, let me personalize it. I, I, I'm not, there's, there's not a problem here. But let me just personalize not yet, anyway. Let me personalize it. If I disappoint you, because I'm not what you would want me to be, as long as I am attempting to be obedient to Jesus, then I have to say I am what I am by the grace of God. And I think it's the same for you with the relationships you have. As long as you're not wanting to seek to damage people, as long as you're not wanting to be selfish and just live for yourself, as long as you're trying to be obedient to Jesus, there is a sense in which in your relationships you have to be able to say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I'm sorry if that's disappointing. I'm just sorry if I'm not what you wanted me to be. I am what I am by the grace of God. And secondly therefore, I will, and Paul does this as well, he then looks at the people who are giving them the hard time. How do you address them? And he says to the church of God in Corinth, 
together with all his holy people. These are the people who are giving him the hardest of times. He doesn't demonize them. He doesn't demean them. He doesn't say to these people who are giving me the hard time are really the bad people. He just says, God's at work in them too. This week, with the death of Margaret Thatcher, if you've, if you've been on Twitter or Facebook or any of the social media sites, or you've just heard about it, you know that in a sense, the media sites became quite adolescent this week. Whatever, and you know, lots of us lived through that whole period. Whatever we thought about it, how do we see those that we disagree with? Do you demonize them? Or do you see them as people on whom God wanted to work? Can you see clearly? It's obvious, but it's so important. How do you see yourself? And how do you see those who are giving you the hard time? So Paul begins his letter by saying, I want you to know the troubles that I faced. <laughs> I feel like almost bursting into a song because no one knows the troubles <laughs> that I've seen. <laughs> and the word he uses is the word for trouble or test is an interesting word. It's the word that would be used if a ship was actually going down under the weight of too much cargo. It's like I'm sinking. The troubles. It's, it's not like hassle. It's not like irritation. It's like real test, trouble, trial. Stuff that actually was in danger of bringing me down. And throughout this letter, Paul will explain about this. He will say, um, at one point, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We're not in despair. We're persecuted. We're not abandoned. We're struck down. We're not destroyed. Listen to those four words. We're hard-pressed. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. Later he will say, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the, moon, uh, on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. But apart from that... <laughs> <laughs> he summarizes it back. Let's go back one if you can. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside. Fears within. This is Paul. You don't expect the great Apostle Paul to go, that's how it felt. Conflict on the outside, fear within. Don't say to Paul, you don't know how it feels. Don't say to Paul, oh, if you only knew. 
Paul goes, I know exactly what it feels when the vice is so tightly clamped to you that actually I don't know whether I'm going to survive. He goes as far as to say, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. We just thought, God, get us out. Let's just die. I'd rather die, God. So what's God doing? Well, one of the things I want you to take away with you is this. Troubles are not a sign that God's left you. Just relax. The fact that you might be facing trouble, the fact that you might be facing the troubles that almost feel like it's going to capsize you, is not a sign that God's left you. If the Apostle Paul is willing to say, that's what it's been like for me, he is not saying, it's because I've been a bit disobedient. It's not because God's left me. It's actually, this is what it means for my life at this time, and I'm willing to live with it. So what does God do? Well, one of the things that Paul says, and you must have heard it when I read it from verse 4, is he comforts, God comforts him. He said, God who comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort those in our trouble with the comfort we receive from God. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, also our comfort abounds through Christ. It's like he just wants to keep on hitting you with this word comfort. The interesting thing, the interesting thing for me about that word comfort is the word uh, that Jesus will use of the Holy Spirit coming in John's Gospel when he says the paraclete will come, the comforter. It's the same word. The comforter will come, the one who stands beside you, the encourager, the advocate, the one who supports you, the one who advises you, the one who sustains you. And throughout this letter, Paul explains how that happens. He does it in three ways. In chapter 4, he'll say, how does God comfort me? Well, outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. How does God comfort you? Well, one of the ways is that outwardly, things stop working. And you get tired, and you get frail. But inwardly, God's wanting to renew you. Now, this is almost a faith statement. Because actually, you probably don't realize this yourself. Others might recognize it in you, but you probably don't see it yourself. When you're struggling with kids and toddlers, you don't realize that actually, it doesn't feel like this grand project of you being renewed inside. It just feels like, God, can I get to the end of the day? You know, (laughs) Roseanne Barr once said, you know, husband came in at the end of her working day, and (laughs) he said to her, good day, uh, dear, and she said, I'm alive, the kids are alive, it's a good day. <laughs> and, and kind of like when you get as, in those sort of situations, it doesn't feel like God's actually renewing you. But Paul says, outwardly, I've got all this stuff going on. Inwardly, I believe that God is wanting to renew all things. Secondly, there's a moment for Paul when he hears God speak very directly. And the word is this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness.
Paul heard God speak to him. And actually what he heard was not, Paul, you're going to be okay, but what he heard was God say to Paul, this is how I work, Paul. In weakness, my power is displayed. You can't make God speak to you. But you can put yourself in positions and postures where you can hear from him. Let me just say it really bluntly. When you're under the most pressure, often it's the time when either you're least likely to pray or your prayers are a constant barrage of accusation against God. It's very difficult to hear God reply because you don't give him space. And it's understandable But there is a sense if you want God to speak to you, you've got to give him space. And when he speaks, you've got to hold it tight. Inwardly, how does God comfort us? Inwardly, he renews you. He speaks to you. Thirdly, in chapter 7, Paul says, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you'd given him. How does God comfort Paul? Paul says, I, was, I got the comfort of God when Titus came. My co-worker, my friend, my partner came, and his presence with me was how God was giving me comfort. There's something about actually being aware of how God comforts you. So that you become aware of what you're looking for. Because then when you get it, you give thanks. So the person who comes alongside you and says, do you fancy a coffee, is not just being nice, but actually maybe, just maybe, it's an image of the God who comes close to you and goes, I want to strengthen you for the journey. And at the end of that day, rather than, oh, it was nice to have coffee today, maybe at the end of the day it's, God, thank you, because you came close. And for those of you that the relationships will have to come from within church for that, the investment you make on the good days pays dividend on the bad days said it quite a number of times before. At the end of this service, we will invite you to stay for tea and coffee uh, in the back room. And it's really easy to say, to be honest, I'm not thirsty. And it's really easy to say, to be honest, I don't really know that people very well. And it's really easy to say, I've got a lot to do this afternoon. And so it's easy to say, I'll just go. The small talk you engage with or you engage in over coffee is the deposit in the bank that you're hoping will pay dividend on the bad day. If I talk to you about your week this week and we share small talk, on the day when the roof collapses, proverbially, we can talk 
and we can pray differently. The investment over time enables the comfort of God. So the second thing. First thing is, relax. The fact that you've got troubles is not an indication that God has left you. And secondly, watch. Because God is helping you directly and indirectly. Directly through the renewal. Directly through the word. Indirectly through others. And my final thing I want to say to you is persevere. When you're under pressure, the obvious thing you want to do is to stop. And Paul looks back on his experience and he says, the point of the pressure is this. Can you? In verse 4 he says, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive. It's not, God doesn't send trouble so that you have something to say, but it's how do you redeem the pressure you're under? You know, we can make it really personal, but how do you redeem that moment where cancer struck? How do you redeem that? I receive comfort on that day so that I can speak to those who are facing it for the first time. How do you redeem your relationships that are broken? I receive comfort when my relationships broke in order that, so that I've got something to give to others. Everybody's different. We've all got our own stories. But Paul says it's not pointless. And secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He takes you back to the story of the resurrection. I wonder if your story is that you're learning to rely on God who raises the dead. Life is about more than getting by. It's, you know, it's been really nice this week, hasn't it? One, you know, I think it's just one day when the sun came out, but wasn't it nice? You know, we just felt so much better that day, didn't we? We kind of smiled and the, the east wind stopped blowing and it was not as cold and we just, for a moment, we got hope and then it rained. And then we thought maybe that was it, maybe that was summer, I don't know, you know? Life's got to be more than that, though, hasn't it? It's got to be more than surviving easterly winds and the rain so that we get occasional sunny days when we feel better. This happened that I might rely on God who raises the dead. This stuff that's happening to you, this stuff that's happening around you, this stuff that has happened to you is not pointless, Paul says. Persevere. It's not pointless, for God is able to redeem what you thought was irredeemable. We belong to the Pentecostal tradition and 
one of the things that we have to work really hard with at balancing in the Pentecostal tradition is two things. One is that we believe in a God who comes very close, very quickly, and can do miracles. And yet, on the other hand, we've also got the situations where some things go on forever and they don't seem to change. And that's a really difficult balance to be in. And if you only say one of those two things, you leave people shortchanged. If we give you the impression that everything is always sorted out with one prayer at the front and that's it, then actually most people will live disappointed because you know that's not actually how God works. And Paul is saying here, actually, I'm learning something about God in the midst of the situation I'm facing. But at the same time, if it's just about gritting your teeth, then actually we're just stoics. We're just sort of trying the best we can to get by. Paul holds the both together, a God who comes in the midst, a God who is close, a God who is near, a God who does transform, a God who's there in the oppression.